The Boston Bruins cannot be stopped. Sadly for the Minnesota Wild, Kirill Kaprizov can, thanks to the injury bug. Tony D'Angelo can be stopped, uh, thanks to a spearing incident. Uh, and there is a lot going on in Philadelphia that we need to dissect in our main topic. It's all coming up in episode 356 of the Lace My Podcast, which starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Disclaimer today, I'm in a radio newsroom, so if you hear uh, noise in the background, it's because it's a live newsroom, and that is what a live newsroom is. Fortunately, it's the weekend, so um, it's uh, fairly vacant at the moment yeah. outside of a handful of people. Um, so just a bit of disclaimer there. Uh, Boston Bruins, Brett, uh, you keep saying you don't want to talk about them, but when they make no, NHL no. history, I guess we have no choice, do we? Yeah, I kind of have set the um, set it so that like I only talk about it when like because I feel like we would if this was another team I would talk about this. In fact, it probably would be a main topic. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'll settle for talking about this when it when they make history because uh, they're the fastest team ever to get to fifty points. Um, so there's 50 that. wins, not 50, 50 points. Good God. Yeah, yeah. Well, they also have... Um, at they this probably point, did that earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. They already did. Yeah, I think they were the fasti- fastest to 100 points. Um, mm. You know, it's interesting because I, I guess... Uh, so Tampa Bay... Um, it, well, it's funny because my, my dad was saying it's like... It's funny how, like, the Bruins are chasing the Montreal Canadiens for all these, like, regular season standings and I would argue that we're actually fighting the Tampa Bay Lightning because like the post lockout everything changed because of the overtime rules with the shootout um, where you get like a one point for every every time um, so yeah this uh, let's see here the Lightning have um, I wish I did this math ahead of time. Um, I'm famous for not doing math (laughs) on these calls. But, uh, yeah, uh, so the Lightning had 128 points, 62 wins, um, 16 losses, and four four losses, um, overtime losses. The Bruins have 100 and, I think, four um, is the stat uh, points right now uh, with, like, roughly 20 games to go. Uh, so they could they could catch uh, the Lightning, um, but again, as I mentioned the last time we talked about this Bruins team, um, I I don't want to end the season like the Lightning that Lightning team ended the season, where they're um, they get swept um, in the first round. So uh, so yeah, all this is is pretty cool and it's it's exciting. But I have to admit that like. I am still, like, kind of hoping that they, like, catch the lightning. Um, but, like, it's funny because it's, like, you know, I guess we're not necessarily uh, c- trying to catch the Montreal Canadiens, but instead we're catching another division rival um, in the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, historically speaking. But, yeah, the Bruins have 105 points um, with 
in 65 games. So yeah, they have like, just quick math here, that's like 12 games left. Um, so, so yeah, they could do it, but it's, um, oh no, wait, uh, 20, 20 games, uh, like 17 games left. Um, so yeah, but, uh, yeah, of course I'm, I'm more excited for the playoffs. Um, and if they, if they can do it there instead of, yeah, speaking of which they've already clinched their playoff spot. They're also the first team to clinch too. So they know they're in the postseason as well. Right. Uh, They did, they did lose to Detroit five to three today and they were down four to one, but in the third period, they were making a strong push scoring a handful of goals, um, with plenty of time left in the third. And they were just buzzing around Billy Huso from that point onwards and for a while it seemed like they were just destined to come back and tie the game they had a yeah. lot of good looks a lot of close chances where if you just get the stick on it like a split second earlier that yeah. puck is in the back of the net and they're winning the puck battles they're just not giving up on any plays and the best of the best are the best at it and they're very good at doing it consistently and they're just relentless all the time yeah. and that's you just saw right there, even though they didn't come back and win that game, you just saw why the Bruins are so tough to beat, especially in regulation. Yeah, it well, they uh, they did beat Detroit the other day or the the yesterday as well. Yeah, and they were down two. And they were in that down to two too, nothing yeah. in that. So they did come back. Like it's funny because usually when they lose those like the last half of a back to back, I'm like, all right, you can kind of give them cut them some slack. But they play the same team um, there, so it's it's a little different. But um, but yeah, it's it's um, you know it's exciting to watch. But um, but yeah, it's you know I I would say that like yeah, if even if we don't win the Stanley Cup, it's going to be like you know it was a fun season and something that I'll look back on. But I don't know if that's necessarily true because I like yeah I, I think I alluded to this the last time we talked about the Bruins was that like. When I think of the 19-1 and one Patriots, I think of the one loss that the Patriots had. Um, and uh, and that's not great. But yeah, there was like, you know, there was a last, the last, I think it was two weeks ago when they played the Flames. Um, and it, like the shot totals for Calgary were like, it's like 40, like they had, like Olmark made like 50 saves approximately. I don't know the exact stats. But uh, the Bruins um, and the Bruins had like eight shots in in the first two periods or something like that. I mean, it was just an incredible game where the the Bruins suddenly came back because it looked like it was um, one of those games where it's just like, okay, it's the back to back. They just held McDavid and the Oilers um, to win that game, but then like they come back and win uh, against Calgary, and that's. That's, 57 to 20 were the shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, and it's it, that's one of the games where I'll look back. Like, even if we don't win the cup, that's the game where I'll always remember where I'm like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> like this Bruins team is pretty special, even if, you know. Uh, but, of course, we'll see in the playoffs how special they are. Um, I feel like we're talking about them too much, that I'm, like, my jinxing, uh, like, now my jinxing senses are like coming to fruition now, so let's 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 talk about the next topic here. Um, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, he is out three to four weeks right now, um, so that's not good, obviously. 
um, because the the wild do need him. Um, I guess they, let me just look here. Yeah, I mean, the Wild did win their last two games, and they are currently in second place in the Central, but Colorado is catching them. And, um, uh, yeah, they have, well, Minnesota has 83 points, and Colorado has 78 points. Uh, Winnipeg has 77 points. So, you know, um, it's not, obviously that's not what the Wild want, um, that Kaprizov is out, they're their best player, uh, but, but it looks like, you know, they've, they've managed without him so far, um, and all they need to do is just still, like, make the playoffs, so, um, yeah. The thing about uh, the Minnesota Wild is they're a different team with Kirill Kaprizov in the lineup and without Kirill Kaprizov in the lineup, and... Believe it or not, Minnesota, record-wise, is one of the best teams in the Western Conference. But they don't strike me as a team to be feared, uh, especially without Kaprizov. They are going up against Colorado at the moment, who is presumably going to get healthier. Uh, hopefully, we'll have Landis Cog back in time for the playoffs. Miko Rantanen is having the season of his life right now. Nathan McKinnon is uh, full stride. Kale McCarr is back as well. And that's probably going to be their first-round opponent. Yeah. Whether Minnesota is the second seed and has home ice or their third seed and they have to start on the road in Colorado. If they don't have Kirill Kaprizov at full strength, they're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, that's like stating the obvious, but yes, you're <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And now, now that he's out for three to four weeks, he could be rusty. Maybe he's just coming into the playoffs just like fresh off that injury. Um, maybe he's not at full speed. Uh, just a lot of question marks there. And uh, while Philip Gustafson has played admirably when Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't played this year, um, I do kind of worry about Marc-Andre Fleury in the playoffs this year. Uh, I don't know how much magic he's got left. Like, he's obviously, he's good, but can he go on, like, a 2018-esque run again? Mm -hmm. That That's to be determined, and I'm not too confident he can yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Um, okay, so um, now we get to the Flyers version of our, of our show here. Uh, we're going to first, and it's not good news, I'm sorry. It's not always sunny in, in Philadelphia. Um, Tony D'Angelo is suspended for two games for spearing Corey Perry. Um, yeah, I mean, this seemed like it was worth those two games. Um, it looked pretty bad. It is so funny because, like, the, the two most hated players in the league are Corey Perry and Tony, Tony D'Angelo, so it is funny that they're both um, involved in this altercation. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's uh, a good... Um, it made it made sense for, uh, for that, him to be suspended. But as we'll talk about in a little bit... It's, um, you know, since the Flyers are not going to make the playoffs, they're a bad team, um, it's not the end of the world uh, for, for the Flyers. Shocker, Tony D'Angelo does something stupid, part <laughs> whatever the heck it is. Um, this first time of all, on the ice, it, but yeah. if, if you're looking at this from a Flyers standpoint and, you know, John Tortorella and... 
um, Tony D'Angelo might say that Tampa Bay overreacted to that situation. I don't really care. Um, you're putting your team in a bad spot at the end of a play where you just spear someone in the groin and not the actual groin, like the groin groin. Mm-hmm. The, the, the word that we substitute the word groin for. Um, every single Tampa Bay jersey that saw what he did to Corey Perry lunged right at Tony D'Angelo. And this was a Tampa Bay team that basically benched their top three players on the heels of a loss to Buffalo in regulation. Next night, they go into Carolina, get absolutely steamrolled, and then play Philly, not only win that game, but probably woke up. Mm-hmm. Like, Tony D'Angelo straight up poked the bear and woke up the entire Tampa Bay team. Every single Tampa Bay member on the ice went straight at Tony D'Angelo. He put himself in that position, and in my opinion, it was a selfish act that was absolutely unnecessary and further puts his team in a bad spot. And it's just another bad, selfish play in a Philadelphia season that is ultimately going to land them on the golf course in April. And John Tortorella, I will give him props. Regardless of what you think of the benchings, he has changed that culture, and you're slowly starting to see those changes. This isn't part of the culture. This is not hockey. Nothing to do with the team. Totally selfish. And Tony D'Angelo poked the bear, and he got burned. Yep. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily say he's changing the culture considering what he uh, did with Provorov, and he's also getting in fights with Farabee, and um, and it, it seems like he's just unpopular. He's healthy, scratching Kevin Hayes uh, for no reason, uh, So, uh, who has been <laughs> their best player. Uh, so that's... Uh, not not great, but I, I think since we are going to talk about the Flyers, that is a good transition um, over because the Flyers this week, they finally fired Chuck Fletcher. Um, this feels like this was something that like Flyers fans had wanted since like he started, basically, or since like 2020 or 2021. Um, speaking of Tony D'Angelo, uh, this was actually the last trade that uh, Fletcher made. Um, as a Flyers GM, believe it or not. Do you have Certainly a... the last notable one. No, it's literally the, his last trade. Um, uh, do you have a guess of when that was? Uh, it was last offseason. Yes. Uh, I believe it was a second, a third, and a fourth that went to Carolina for D'Angelo, and I think it was, I don't know, a fifth, sixth, seventh pick attached to yeah. D'Angelo as well, and the Flyers right. gave him a two-year extension as well. Yeah. On top of that. You were, yeah, I, I was looking for like a date or something, but I mean, I guess that that's fair. It was July 8th, 2022. Um, that, by the way, that second round pick is in a couple of years. And if yeah. the Flyers are bad, they're probably going to regret that. Yeah. Because yeah. that could be a late first value. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, oh, wait, actually. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong. Okay, they made some trades, uh, but um, I guess that just shows why. Chuck Fletcher was gone because the only two moves he made during these trade deadline days were to get Brandon Lemieux uh, from the Kings, um, and they just traded away Zach McEwen. Um, and uh, they also traded 
Isaac Radcliffe for future considerations. Uh, but other than that, the Flyers did nothing. Um, there were reports that JVR might be on the block, but he never actually got moved. Um, that was presumably the straw that broke the yeah. camel's back. Is yeah. they couldn't get anything for James Van Riemsdyk, and he literally had a good yeah. month to do that. It's right. not like a Jacob Chikrin where it's like, yeah. oh, we got like six or seven different yeah. suitors, and they're all offering first round picks. It's just like you retain JVR at fifty yeah. percent, you get a third or a fourth, bada bing, bada boom, end of transaction. Right, right, right. Couldn't even do that. Yeah, and also the Flyers also did trade. Patrick Brown to the Senators. They just got a sixth round pick. I think the reason why I got confused by that, this was because I was looking at the NHL trade trackers just to see all the moves that Chuck Fletcher made. And I guess they just didn't update it to the recent things. Cause now when I'm going to cap friendly, I'm like, Oh, Steve was right. <laughs> so I apologize, Steve and the rest of, um, the listeners here because that's I, why i said it was the last notable trade it is the, the last yeah one, i mean he didn't really that do anything fair. else outside of that that is fair so i guess technically that's true but um but it, i guess it just goes to show you about how like inactive chuck fletcher was it's like yeah you're you're rebuilding it is a little unfair to say this because it's not like he um you know what's what's going on with sean couturier and cam atkinson um, and now Travis Konechny, they're all on injured reserve. Ryan Ellis was also on LTIR. So it's not entirely all on him because, like, you know, you just don't account for injuries like that to your significant core, uh, like Couturier and Ryan Ellis. But at the same time, it's like, okay, Kevin Hayes is pretty good. Um, Joel Farabee was supposed to be something. Owen Tippett has had his moments every now and then. James Van Reems, like, I guess I could see why, like, he wasn't able to get someone for James Van Reemsdyke, or, like, even, like, a six-round pick for him, because it's not like James Van Reemsdyke is doing anything. Um, and uh, it looks like he has, or, like, you know, it's not like Tortorella plays him that often. Really, like he's on the third line with uh, 15 minutes of ice time. Um, so, um, and he's also like 33 years old. Uh, it seems like he's he's kind of done for and not as good as what he once was, um, which is fine. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's just uh, you know it, it's not like you know I, I think there were like moments where we, they thought that the Flyers were going to get Johnny Gaudreau last year. Um, that was um, that was supposedly Gaudreau's like initial like landing spot because he grew up as a Flyers fan. Um, there were reports that like uh, the Flyers just didn't want Gaudreau, um, so I, I can kind of understand why no one wanted James and Reemsdyke. But the fact that like they couldn't make room for Johnny Gaudreau is asinine. Um, and they probably would have yeah. had to trade James Van Riemsdyk yeah. to do that. True. It's like, for, for, for example, Or even just back, buy him out, like, you know? You moved heaven and earth to get yeah. Rasmus Ristolainen here. You gave up a freaking first-round yeah. pick for Rasmus Ristolainen and basically added assets on top of Shane yeah. Goss' bear to get rid of his contract to make room for Ristolainen. Yeah, that's another one. And yet said. Johnny Gaudreau isn't worth it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Ghost Despair one, is all, that, that trade is also terrible because it's not like... Provorov or has has been anything special. 
I, I guess that's kind of why they did it, but like that that seemed kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Augustus Bears actually looked pretty good since he's left Philly. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Know. And they like that one seemed kind of crazy. I mean, Owen Tippett has been good, which is who they got in the Claude Giroux trade. Uh, so yeah. they have that. Um, but it's. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's also, like, hiring of Tortorella. I feel like that's questionable, too. Um, but, like, you know, I think it's just a mixture of, like, like, like luck and, you know, because it's, it's not like he expected, he knew that Couturier and Ryan Ellis would be injured uh, for a majority of his time in Philadelphia. But at the same time, he still had some questionable moves. Um, that lends yourself to believe that he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so, um, and it's also, it's just, you know, um, and I, I guess it's like, I, I guess I'm not, I don't think Tortorella has it anymore, but that's a question for another time. But, um, I think we can both agree that this was the right move. Um, Danny Briere is the new GM, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. Interim, interim, interim yeah. not officially new, but Fair. for now he is the GM. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because, yeah, he did play for the Flyers. Uh, but I do remember uh, Briere most more because of his time in Buffalo uh, where he where he was one of the better players. And the other better players was Chris Drury. So it is interesting that the, <laughs> they're both GMs for an Atlantic team now. Um, or sorry, a Metro team now. But... Um, but yeah, it's uh, so we'll see how he does. I, I imagine since the trade deadline's over and he is an interim GM, it's it's not like he can do so much right now. Um, so I am curious to see if they're going to like hire someone else before the draft, or I, I would imagine they'll they'll still have him in line for the draft and maybe um, see how he how he does. But um, but yeah, that is kind of interesting. Um, so the first, the first move is what do we think Briere or the, and or the Flyers should do right now? So if you look at the benchings, uh, that John Tortorella has made this year, and again, the Kevin Hayes one is a head scratcher that mm -hmm. will always be a head scratcher. Uh, Travis Sanheim has been benched a couple of times. It, uh, Tort seems baffled that the message isn't getting through yep. and, kind of at a loss for words at this point um there's also uh travis konechny for a bit was in the doghouse yep. uh joel Farabee has nine goals this year for whatever reason he's been struggling this season and in between there have been some other cases uh as well but when I when I look at the Flyers over the past couple of years um it's a situation that's bigger than just a coach and a GM. So if you look at where the Flyers have finished since Chuck Fletcher arrived as general manager, they finished above six in the Metro Division once. And throughout all that time, by the way, they weren't trying to lose. They finished fifth overall last year because they were bad. They were a team with no direction. It seemed like their players some nights were checked out, just emotionally checked out, not playing hard enough not playing NHL quality hockey like they were playing at the start of this season, certainly. And they needed John Tortorella to help shake things up. And I said this offseason when they didn't get Johnny Gaudreau, 
I was thinking, you know what, even if they got Johnny Gaudreau, I don't know if it really changes things. And part of the reason they got John Tortorella in the mix is maybe if it's a case of fixing the culture, this team will be good in no time. Except it's not just the culture. It might be that this team isn't structured well enough and there's more work that needs to be done. And I think John Tortorella has proven that there's more work that needs to be done, and it doesn't just start and end with John Tortorella yeah. on that front. Uh, Philly hasn't made the playoffs since the 2020 bubble. They beat Montreal in six games. They uh, won the um, play-in division, uh, so they got the top seed out of the playoffs. They beat Montreal in six games. They forced a game seven against the Islanders. They lost that game seven, and they haven't been back to the playoffs since. Um the other thing is that ownership was very confident that Chuck Fletcher could fix this mess, and they promised aggressive spending this past offseason. Remember that? Yeah. They yeah, they point. said we're gonna give we're gonna give more money to Chuck Fletcher to to spend his way out of this because we could we we trust him we have faith he can he can write the ship, and unfortunately money doesn't fix all of your problems. Look. When you trade it, uh, when you trade for the rights to Kevin Hayes, you give him a seven-year deal. You trade for Ristolainen again, a valuable first-round pick and a couple of other assets, and then eventually extended him to a five-year deal where you might be better off trading him at the deadline and seeing if you could get futures later down the road. The trade for Ryan Ellis injury injuries uh, sadly ruined that wise move. I. I don't fault that on Chuck Fletcher. Injuries happen. They suck. It's part of the game. Not much you can do there. The Sean Couturier extension, again, same thing. Great player. Huge for the franchise to keep him. Unfortunately, injuries have uh, soiled that eight-year contract so far, and hopefully he can bounce back from it. He did give six-year extensions to Ivan Provorov, to Joel Farabee, to Travis Konechny, uh, all of which I think were at pretty decent rates. Um, his biggest, uh, uh, some of his biggest moves uh, this past offseason we'll get to. He gave bridge deals to Carter Hart and Travis Sanheim. This is the part that boggles my mind the most. It sounded like Travis Sanheim was probably going to be on his way out. And then Chuck Fletcher turns around and gives him an eight-year extension. And now he's in the doghouse. And it's just like, well, that eight-year extension doesn't even start until next season. Mm. And now look where you're at. Um, and that brings us to the rest of his asset management. Uh, his biggest signing in 2022 was a four-year deal to Nick Delorier, yep. who, don't get me wrong, is a good bottom six forward. He fits the flyer system. He's a Philadelphia flyer probably by blood. Mm-hmm. But four years to a bottom six forward, and yep. that's all you could do in that offseason where – the front office promised to give you lots of money to spend to to, to spend your problems away. Uh, trading draft picks for Tony D'Angelo signed to a two-year contract. I'm fine with the term, but uh, still, you gave up a second, a third, and a fourth, and that second is in the 2024-2025 draft where Philly could still be bad yep. and the Canes get a late first-round pick value potentially out of that deal. Um, I, I just... Just looking at his draft record, too, he's had some gems. Cam York and Bobby Brink in 2019. 2020, Ed Tyson Forster. Uh, he traded two sevenths uh, for a fifth-round pick that turned into Elliott Desnoyers in 2021. 
in the process in, in the minor system he looks pretty good he could be something for the flyers down the road but that year philadelphia did not have a first round pick and uh of course fifth overall they take cutter Gauthier this past year yeah. and there are certain situations like the claude drew stuff he had to deal with florida there's not much you could do there uh voracek for atkinson seemed like a decent one for one but again it's the ristolainen it's the gostas bear contracts um it's it's those kind of deals that just may really make my head spin around in circles and just make me wonder if there's if there's even a sense of direction in what chuck fletcher is doing if he even had if he even had a plan as to what he envisioned this roster yeah and ultimately i think the next plan is to rebuild Yep. You look at the free agency market this year, it's not nearly as stacked as previous years, and that is where the Flyers can capitalize on the trade market. People are looking at, oh, a guy like Brock Besser maybe on the open market, and you know, maybe a guy like Colton Pareko or Mackenzie Weger could mm. somehow find their way there. Or as we talked about last episode, maybe JT Miller as well. You look at a guy like Travis Konechny, who's a point-of-game player, he doesn't have as much term as JT Miller. He's under affordable, a more affordable cap rate than JT Miller is right now. A lot of teams would be willing to pay premium value to get Travis Konechny on their team. Yeah. And that is where Philadelphia can capitalize on that. Maybe get some, you know, first or seconds for that or a young forward that okay. maybe fits their system uh, just as well as Konechny, if not better. Um, I think I keep Kevin Hayes around because he is probably the voice in the locker room that they need. Uh, they have some gems like Scott Lawton and Owen Tippett as well, but there are a lot of veterans like Travis Sanheim, Ristolainen, D'Angelo as well, uh, Provorov that I think might be best to move on and at worst majorly retool this roster around because the roster as it's constructed is not good enough. It won't be good enough in the Metro division next year or the year after that or the year after that. And I don't think uh, things will get any better for Philadelphia unless they make those changes. John Tortorella is definitely changing how this team plays in terms of how they have to play on the ice with passion every single night doing the right things, uh, hitting, blocking shots, and all that. There's little progress in those sort of things. But this team has a long way to go, and it's not going to be fixed overnight, and it's going to be a long process before it is rectified. So, I um, I mean, yeah, I do agree that the Flyers should rebuild, but I disagree with you on a couple of points here. Um, okay. So, I guess first, I mean, we'll... we'll I, we have a question about torts later on, which I disagree with. Uh, but, um, yeah, when I look at the Flyers roster, I'm, like, just thinking of how poor this roster is built. Like, pretty much. It's just, like, it's very underwhelming, really. Like, there was a time when Morgan Frost was supposed to be, like, this next big thing. Um, he has 30 points in 65 games. Uh, so just below uh, like a half point per game um, in the league. Uh, you have, um, uh, you know, Joel Therabee with 27 points in 66 games. Um, I know that he's dealing with an injury, but that's still like, you know, he's been playing, he's played most of the 
um, the games this season, so it's like maybe he'll bounce back next year. Uh, he is only 23 years old. Um, Owen Tippett um, has actually been the lone, like one of the lone bright spots on this Flyers team. And then I'm not even talking about like how Ivan Provorov hasn't been as good. I'm not even talking about his whole scandal about Pride Night. Uh, with uh, he has 22 points in 66 games. Um, that's not a that's not like what we you expect out of a guy like that. Um, that you draft. Uh, Anthony D'Angelo has been their best defenseman. So there is that. And yeah, I do agree that one, you can't really fault him for Sean Couturier or Ryan Ellis because those those two guys are injured and that's something that you just can't foresee. Um, so, and, you know, ultimately those two guys would probably help this team a lot. So I totally get it. Um, and it's, I think there's, they were saying that like Ryan Ellis may never play again. It's his injury is that bad. Sean that Sean, but like, you know, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but it's it seen, I think I saw reports, um, in the off season last year, like that was the case. Um, so that would have helped their team a lot, but of course that's something that you can't, you can't blame Chuck Fletcher for that. Cause he couldn't foresee that he would get injured, uh, for a potentially career ending injury uh but uh yeah Sean Couturier I think will probably be back next year um but we'll see um and so here's where I disagree with you one I think uh Travis Konechny um is their best player on the Flyers uh he's also 26 years old uh he's on a decent cap hit and term uh 5.5 million uh for 2025 Per, uh, that ends in 2025. Um, I do under I do agree that the Flyers should rebuild because it's not like there's an easy fix. I just don't get why you would trade. Um, and like I can understand why the the Coyotes traded Jacob Chikrin because, well, first off he requested a trade and um, and it's not like Arizona is going to be um, good anytime soon. So I get that. But for this case, it's like maybe the fly. I, I feel like the Flyers are going to be decent in a like like maybe next in two years. Like I wouldn't say it's three years. So and and connect me like yeah, he might be a little bit past his prime by the time the Flyers are good. But he's going to be an important part for the Flyers. Uh, so I don't understand. I I would not trade Travis Konechny unless it's like a Tanner Janot type deal, of course. Uh, like especially if Tanner Janot got uh, the Lightning like five picks and a prospect. Konechny's like a hundred times better than Tanner Janot. So so I I think you could get a lot out of Konechny. So that would be the only reason why I would do that if it was just like. Um, a crazy deal where the Flyers would like the Flyers would slam dunk that that offer, but it's just I I don't think like it makes sense to trade like a relatively young guy uh, for for picks and prospects when he's like your best young prize <laughs> on the team because uh, you don't know like yeah like. Joel Farabee has some potential. Cutter Gauthier has some potential. Cam York has some potential. Um, I just, 
I just don't see what like because Travis Konechny has been your best guy. That's a team. That's a player that you can build your team around basically, um, and um, yeah. So so I don't understand that. Um, and then lastly, before you defend yourself, because I I did want to mention Tortorella, but that will involve the next question. Um, but I did want to bring up Carter Hart because uh, I I think Carter for Carter Hart. Um, his, uh, yeah, his, um, I think he was one of those players that was really affected by the pandemic, um, and the bubble, especially because when you notice that, like, he had a, like a really good year, uh, before the pandemic started, um, in 2018, 2019, where he had a 917 save percentage and a GAA of 2.83, then the following year, which was 2019-2020, uh, so that was the start of the pandemic in the middle of the year, it was slightly worse, but 9.14 save percentage and 2.42 uh, GAA, so that's passable. Then the next year, which was um, when they were uh, playing games with uh, against seven other teams um, and there, um, there were no fans in the stands, uh, that was arguably the toughest division as well. Exactly. Too. Yeah, that's a good point too. Uh, yeah, he had his. Well, actually, I would argue that the Canadian division was probably the toughest, just because of how much <laughs> scoring there was. But anyway, not even close. It was not even close. It was well, no, in terms of like scoring. Like, I mean, scoring, yeah. But like, like I wouldn't want. <laughs> in terms want... of like juggernaut teams that oh, okay. feared, definitely, uh, definitely I mean, Phillies division. I, I guess I'm just thinking if I were a goalie, I would rather oh, be a yeah, goalie. Oh, yeah, if you're a goalie, you're probably sweating bullets from yeah. like warm up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would, I would rather be a goalie in uh, the division that the Flyers were in instead of the division the Canadians were in. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but, anyways. Um, that bubble year, he had um, a 3.67 GAA and a save percentage of 877. And again, like we were mentioning, that was a tough division. Like a lot of factors were involved that it wasn't your normal season. So fine, you can throw that out. But then the following year, which fans started to go to games, uh, this was last year, uh, he had a 316 GAA and a 905 save percentage. Um, and, um, yeah, this year he has been decent and you can make a case that's like, okay, like this team isn't good anymore. Uh, they're not trying to compete anymore. So it's like, it's, it's not okay. But, you know, still he has a 2.96 GAA this year and a 906 save percentage. Um, so, um, in 48 games right now. Um, so like, okay, that's. That's like, you know, not great, but it's not terrible either. Um, so I feel like a lot hinges on if Carter Hart can get back to what we expect him to be his rookie year. Um, and and a lot of it will also have to do with like, okay, the defense that's ahead of him. Um, I'm not sh sure, I'm not convinced yet that Provorov, Cam York, Travis Sanheim, Rasmus Ristolainen, Nick Sealer, Anthony D'Angelo, and Justin Braun or the right defenseman core to get Carter Hart back on track. Because that's that's ultimately what uh, this team needs to do. Is um, it, it solely revolves around Carter Hart. If you can get him going, great. The Flyers um, will be a scary team. But um, if Carter Hart isn't 
is solely affected by that, yeah, then this this Flyers team is not going to be good. And of course, Sean Couturier is going to help you um, if he can be healthy and back to what he was. But um, I think ultimately, just Carter Hart needs to be like be, needs to be like a Shesterkin or a Connor Hellebuck. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But um, that that's part of the reason to to counter. Um, that's part of the reason why I, I mentioned Konechny as potential trade bait is because I'm not really sure how you fix this defensive core outside of maybe building through the draft. Yeah, um, I guess that's fair. But like, I I don't think you could like I think you could because tr- what you really need is shut down defensemen, and. Yeah you wouldn't trade Travis like that's like what the Oilers did where they traded Taylor Hall for um what's his face um like a shutdown defenseman um that I'm <laughs> Adam Larson uh because Adam Larson was a decent shutdown defenseman and look how that turned out so um yeah I, I guess I can understand that like maybe I I just don't like like maybe you just sign a shutdown defenseman because uh, I think ultimately that's what you need to do. I, I don't think you need to trade. Like, that's not the only way that you can get a shutdown defenseman or improve your defenseman is, is <laughs> trading your best player. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, Philly's power play is below 16%. Yeah. It's the worst power play in the league. Their penalty kill is 75%, yeah. which also isn't good. Um, so that adds, you know fuel to the argument of why the hell would you trade Travis Konechny at the same time Philly is seventh last in the NHL and I would think eligible in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes so if they get a top five talent like a Bedard or a Fantilli um, does that change things or do you keep Konechny regardless yeah that's a good question I mean I think you yeah no I think like a Connor Bedard Fantilli Mikoff or Leo Carlson um, would definitely help this team, obviously. Um, because, like, I think then you can, like, build your team around that player. Um, and, you know, Konechny would just be a very good supporting cast for that player. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you would still do that. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, like, what you could do, like, let's say they do get Connor Bedard then maybe you do think about trading one of these centers uh, like Kevin Hayes or Morgan Frost or something um, and trying to, because, and, and assuming, or Sean Couturier, although his contract might be hell to deal with. Morgan uh, Frost, I could see, because like, he's had a yeah. decent year. He's also a restricted free agent this yeah. year. And prior to this year, he didn't really um, like elevate his game right. to the point where he was an effective NHL player. But again, I'm not really sure if he could get you yeah. the value that Travis Konechny would I guess, get. I guess it depends. I guess I'm just thinking because if you do get like one of those two centers of Fantilli or Bedard, then it's no. like Flyers do have like a decent amount of centers. Like they have Morgan Frost, Kevin Hayes, Sean Gatorier, if he's 100%. I guess it, it, a lot of it hinges on that. It's just, I don't know. Like maybe then you can start to like trade because then all of a sudden you have like oh okay like like I have Kevin Hayes on the third line all of a sudden um so I I think there is like an element of okay maybe they're 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 working with something if they can get one of those guys because they have their strength right now is centers assuming Couturier 
uh, can get back to his full uh, self again, uh, which of course is um, is like you know not a hundred percent a guarantee, but um, yeah, no, I, I I guess I see what you're saying. Uh, but that brings me to my next point because um, the next question is what does Philly do with Torts? Uh, you you were saying how you think that Torts has kind of given this element of like getting players to care more. I think this is actually like it's one of those things where like when Chuck Fletcher hired Torts, like you don't hire Torts to be for a rebuilding team. <laughs> and yeah, no, that's that's so, fair. He doesn't seem like a coach exactly. bring in for a rebuild. One hundred exactly. So so like, and I know this is his like he was hired last year. I I just don't and like he is saying all these like honest things and all that stuff and the fact that like he was just benching Kevin Hayes for no reason or the fact that he uh, he's uh, reportedly not getting along with Joel Farabee which is someone that you should probably I like I had predicted at the start of the season that I was someone that I thought Torts would actually get along with but it turns out that's not true. Um, and like, you know, it's like one thing to like not get along with Kevin Hayes cause he's 30 years old. Um, he is good. I like, I like the player, but like that's, uh, you know, he was their best player at that point. Um, so it's just like a little odd that you would bench him for apparently no reason. Um, but like to, to treat your young players like, like that when the, especially when the flyers aren't going to make the playoffs this year. It just seems kind of odd to me, um, especially as well as the fact of how he handled that Ivan Provorov situation on Pride Night, um, and and said that like Provorov, like he respects Provorov's dis, uh, decision instead of like maybe his hand was forced or something like that. But because um, Provorov, as we talked about, Provorov like did say that it was religious beliefs, and maybe that's the reason why. Um, the, the Flyers couldn't healthy scratch him that day. Um, but, like, the fact that Torts was saying, like, oh, I respect his decision, it's just like, like, okay, I get that you're in, a, like, a tricky situation, but you don't have to go that far <laughs> and say, like, you were, you respect Provorov for being himself. You also gave him the most ice time. That, that seems kind of crazy, too. So, um, so he's, like... I mean, he is known for, like, building that that culture of, like, hard work ethic. But there comes a time when it's just, like, an, a toxic <laughs> environment. Um, and I know this is his first year, but I think I, I, I think uh, Torts has to go as well. Um, I mean, he, he was signed a five-year contract with Vancouver, and he only lasted one year yeah, before he got true. kicked out. So it wouldn't be the first time, I suppose, if he had a very short stay. Yeah. I mean, he'd still be getting paid anyway. Um, getting, getting to John Tortorella's point, even if he's not the right guy, I'm not really sure if it matters or if it changes anything in Philadelphia. We mentioned um, this thing in passing sometimes with certain teams about this, quote-unquote, old boys club. Mm-hmm. We've heard it with Edmonton. Maybe we've heard it with Boston as well. But have we heard of Philadelphia's? It involves, for those of you who don't know, uh, executive guys like Bobby Clark, who was once a GM of the Flyers. I believe Dean Lombardi 
believe it or not, is uh, a part of the executives as well. And Paul Holmgren, who's been a flyer for freaking ever at this point. Yeah. And I'm just listening to John Tortorella throughout the season through, you know, just him even trying to defend Chuck Fletcher for, you know, trying to trade JVR. He's like, well, he tried to trade him. (laughs) Just like he had a month. I'm sure he had plenty of chances to to try and do something. I'm wondering how much of what goes on there goes through the old boys club first. And I'm not accusing the old boys club of necessarily calling the shots with everything that the Flyers do. But just even with the Ivan Provorov stuff and and just the stuff that Tortorella was saying, it's like, this doesn't sound like John Tortorella. This doesn't sound like something John Tortorella would say. And and maybe it was, you know, again, a tricky situation where it's just like, here's what you can't say, here's what you can't, we put out a release, don't contradict it. Not saying that's what happened, but maybe that's something that happened. The other thing about the old boys club is... The NHL GM doesn't have the final say with every trade. He has to get approval first. So everything that Chuck Fletcher did, whether they will admit it or not, surely the Oil Boys Club in Philly must have known what he was about to do. And there's like, okay, yeah, we we don't we don't uh, we we don't disagree with that approach at all. Go do it. And meanwhile, a couple of years ago, remember Bobby Clark just dunked relentlessly on a podcast about Ron Hextall and, oh, this suspect, like, he shouldn't have drafted Noel Patrick, should have drafted Kill McCarr. Right. It's like, um, you're a part of that executive chain, and um, you weren't the GM when that happened, but... You could have probably also, said, I don't approve of this. Right. And also, maybe like, got in the way of that. Also, like, the fact that uh, at the time, I mean, I remember when we talked about this, when that news story came out, but it was that, like, uh, Nolan Patrick was, like, the consensus number two. He, w- he might have even been the number one overall pick that year, yep. too. Like, and Kale McCarr had some question marks, too. It wasn't, like... Like, you know, it's not a surprise that Kel McCarr is this good, but it's also, it wasn't necessarily, like, as much of a guarantee. And also, like, Nolan Patrick, I think injuries got in the way of Nolan Patrick, uh, his career. So I am curious, like, you know, it's one of those what-ifs. Like, what if Nolan Patrick didn't get injured? I, I wonder how good he would be. Obviously, he probably wouldn't be as good as Kel McCarr or even Miro Heiskanen, who is the next guy uh, they could have drafted. But, um... But yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like a hindsight bias. I don't truly believe that Bobby Clark was really, really wanted, like, Kale McCarr. He's just saying this because what ended up happening. And and I think, like, a lot of what Chuck Fletcher did, like, he made his own bed here. Right. And uh, most of what he did was uh, his mistakes alone. Yeah. But just going back to, you know, previous... Um, decisions. For example, the big fight with Ron Hextall that cost him his job. He didn't want to play Carter Hart too much and the big wigs said, we want to see Carter Hart. We want more of Carter Hart. And Hextall wanted to play the waiting game. He wanted to be patient. That wasn't good enough for them. He's out the door. Chuck Fletcher comes into the picture. I think whoever is the GM, whoever is the coach, for God's sake, 
let them do their jobs, please and thank you. Yeah. Because I tell you, it, it, it makes me think, okay, how much of the what has happened over the past couple of years has been the old boys club spearheading and how much of it has been the GM actually just doing their job and just, um, you know, coming to terms with the good and the bad of, of every transaction that was made. That's that's just my personal opinion. I I'm obviously not a fly on the wall. I don't know exactly what happened. None of us do. But again, it 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 just makes me scratch my head at you know how a perceived power struggle could change the balance and and even the fate of a franchise within a matter of years. Um, so that's 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 just something that yeah. that crossed my mind uh, in terms of the long range game. If they go the rebuilding route, John Tortorella isn't the guy. But I think yeah. for now, in terms of the right on-ice approach, the, the one thing that I do like about John Tortorella is that he is a guy that is honest in terms of his communication with his players. His players may not like some of the stuff that he does, but he'll try his best to explain his reasoning behind what he's doing. And I'm sure he's a very receptive guy that's, you know, open to dialogue within the team. He's not a guy that's just going to make a decision. It's just like, you don't like it, tough luck. I don't have to explain it to you. You figure it out by yourself. He's there to help the players learn. He's there to unify the team. We've seen it in many different markets. He's not just making these moves to piss guys off. There is a method to his madness, whether we like it or not. And I'm sure the guys in the locker room are at least someone in the know-how of what that man is thinking when he makes yeah. those moves and after the fact, too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I guess, yeah, it is an old boys club. And, uh, yeah, that is a good point about, like, I didn't know that about, like, how... Uh, the higher ups wanted Carter Hart to start, and uh, the previous GM just didn't want that. So I didn't know that, but um, I, I do wonder if the Flyers take from the Bruins and the Penguins because what the Penguins did was they hired Mike Sullivan, who was the AHL coach, um, and just um, had him be. You know, they just promoted him, um, and the Bruins did the same with Bruce Cassidy, who was the Providence Bruins head coach at the time. Um, and that seemed to work for both teams. Um, but, uh, of course, like the, Flyer, the the Penguins and the Bruins are the Flyers' biggest rivals. Um, or at least the Penguins are. Um, but, uh, so, I don't know if they necessarily copy what the, the Penguins did. But um, I do imagine that, like, that is something that they could do, is just hire whoever the coach is on Lehigh. Although I was just looking, and I guess Lehigh is, like, in the middle of the pack. The yeah, AHL. they're thirty. They're thirty yeah. twenty-two and six on the yeah. year, which is middle of the pack in their division. Right. Not surprisingly, the Providence Bruins are first. So of even course. the Bruins AHL team is killing it. Yep. What a surprise that is. I actually didn't know that. That that's so funny too. It's just like usually that would be like something I would like watch when the our season isn't going as well as expected. But yeah, all right. I guess our <laughs> Providence Bruins are also doing well too. Um, but yeah, um, is, I think that's about it for us, unless you have any more notes on the Flyers. Uh, uh, probably don't trade any first-round picks. Um, be bad for Bedard. 
and I don't know, say a couple of prayers. He might need it. Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to be a long couple of years in Philly, and a, a lot of pain to go with it. But, yeah. Um, hopefully the Flyers can right the ship because regardless of whether or not you like the Flyers, I think the NHL is more entertaining when yeah. they're in a winning position. Same with, you know, teams like the Montreal Canadiens as well. You know, I wonder if, like, the Flyers, let's say the Flyers get the third overall pick. I don't know. Actually, I think the top two picks, okay, never mind. But I was thinking, like, if they don't get end up getting Bedard or Fantilli, but do end up getting, like, the fourth or the fifth pick, because of Michoff, who uh, is going to probably stay in the KHL for three years, I do wonder if they trade that pick um, and get a defenseman. Um, yeah, they might be wise to do that because yeah. I think uh, Mitch Cobb might not be ready until 2026, right, right, which, right. Uh, yeah, Flyers can't wait that long. Exactly. So, um, and a lot, you know, a lot of teams, whoever does end up getting that, that pick might I might end up trading it. I, I could see yeah. that happening because not a lot of teams want to wait that long, but he is talented. So it's like, it's like, what do you do? Okay, let, let's trade down and, and get Just someone look at the Chicago Bears. I know we're going yep. from two different sports, but they have, you know, a franchise quarterback and there are a lot of great quarterbacks yep. uh, with NFL futures in this year's draft. They have the first overall pick. They don't really need the first overall pick to get a quarterback. So they basically put it up on the market. They get four future picks, which is like two firsts and two yep. seconds. Uh, they still get a top 10 pick this year. I think it's ninth overall now. Yep. And on top of that, they get uh, the Carolina Panthers' top wide receiver as well. So yep. they get five valuable assets just by trading the first overall pick. Yep. So not saying that's what the Flyers are going to get if they trade, like, I don't know, fifth overall. Right. But, um, you know, it's it's definitely something that, you know, if the right price is out there, if, uh, I consider all options if I'm Philadelphia at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it is it is a slightly different situation just because a quarterback is so much more valuable of a position <laughs> than a lot of positions compared to, like, hockey. It's like, also, I just... <laughs> Like you, I don't think any like any any team that wins the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Will yeah, they're not, not trading that pick. They're <laughs> not, not trading, trading that, pick. that pick for anything. It would have to be a massive haul for that. So, um, so yeah, I don't I don't think that's gonna happen here. But um, but yeah, it could it could happen for like one of the like a top five pick or like the number three and the number four or the number five pick. Um, but yeah, anyways. Um, all right, that's about it. I'm. Uh, you can follow us on Lace Up Podcast. Our uh, is our Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. You can also uh, f- subscribe to us if you haven't already. I would hope you do. Um, on on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll chat again in episode 357 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.